We're in the book of Romans. We've been taking book by book through the Bible. We started in Genesis and went all the way up through the book of Romans tonight. That's where we are. Of course, the Bible gives us, God gave us his word with one book, with 66 books inside of it. And uh, the first 39 were written before Jesus came to the earth. The last 27, the New Testament was written after Jesus went back to heaven. The sixth book of uh, the, the New Testament is the book of Romans. It was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in a place called Corinth. He was there, he was ministering there, and he had a Corinth with one of the major cities of a place called Achaia, and you'll hear that Macedonia, that'd be Philippi and Thessalonica. Achaia would be Corinth. And there he speaks of that place. When he went there, he was really low emotionally, physically, spiritually, and he was fearful. Have you ever been fearful? I think all of us struggle with that. He did not want to receive any more persecution. I think in his mind, he thought, I can't take another beating. I can't take another bad joke. I can't take the persecution that has been coming my way as it was in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens. I don't think I can do it. And he went there. He, he wasn't a good soul winner. He was nervous. He was fearful. He wasn't witnessing. Timothy and Silas came. And then he felt a little pressure. By the way, and that's good. That's good kind of pressure. What families are supposed to do, they're supposed to provoke each other to love God and others more, do more for God and others. So when they came, he did begin to witness. But uh, after he witnessed, uh, certainly what happened, some people believed, other people mocked, other people gave him a hard time. And the guy who lived next door to the synagogue said, come stay with me. And while he was in his room that night, the Bible says the Lord appeared to Paul and said, Paul, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. By the way, he says that about a hundred times in your Bible. God tells us that he did not give us the spirit of fear. Now, all of us struggle with it. The biggest, baddest dude in this room is a scaredy cat from time to time. The most confident person you think, well, they're never afraid. They're afraid. And because we all get that spirit of fear, and the Bible says, I didn't give you that spirit of fear. So when you have fear, you can know one thing, that didn't come from the Lord. He gave you power to do what you need to do, to love the way you should love, and to think the way you should think. Because fear robs us of those three things. It robs us of power, love, and a sound mind. You find people that are extremely afraid, you're going to find them doing things that are just not logical. They're not, they're not, it's not a sound thinking. When I'm afraid, I, I, you can scare me and I can, I can act in ways that are, that are, that are not normal for me. And uh, it, it, when people are insecure, they're hard to love and they're very, they have a very difficult time loving because they're all concerned about their own safety and their own security. And God put within us a desire for, for significance and security. But he wants to be that, that, uh, that, that source. Not a spouse. And someone said, well, you know, I would do better if I just had this. If I just had this, then I wouldn't be afraid or I wouldn't be that. No, what you really need, all those things are, um, are pseudo. They're not, they're not going to last. You need to get your, your, your significance and your security from him. Then you're going to find rest in your heart, in your life. And all of us need rest. You've got to have rest to make progress. You've got to have peace to continue. And many folks do not have peace. They don't have peace with God because they're not saved yet. They need to understand the gift of eternal life. 
And they don't have peace of God, even after being saved, because uh, of a failure to pray and to believe and trust and know God loves us. Well, the book of Romans is a tremendous book. He wrote it while he was in the city of Corinth. And we find that in Romans chapter 16. He tells us that. And he kind of lays out this great book of the Bible. Many people have called it Romans, the book that changed the world. Uh, because it speaks, and it's got four different, five different sections. It, first of all, talks in the first three chapters about sin. Because sin is a universal problem. Everybody has a problem with sin. God tells us how we got to become a sinner. We sin by nature, and we sin by choice. When Adam and Eve sinned the Garden of Eden, so then death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Uh, I have nine children, but I don't have to teach them how to lie. I don't have to say, you know what, now you're five. Let's learn how to, to, uh, to misbehave in church. Or let's learn how to, to get mad at your brother or sister. Let's turn, I'm going to teach you tomorrow how to be selfish. And then we're going to work on being lazy. <laughs> it just comes very natural to them. You know why it comes natural to my children? Because I have it in me. And my dad had it in him, and all of us got it from Adam. That's why Jesus needed to be born without a human father. That's why the virgin birth is important, the miraculous birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because if Joseph or any other man would have been his father, then he would be dying as a sinner. But the Bible says that Jesus did not have any sin. He became sin for us. That we might be made righteousness before God. That's why you enter this world as a sinner. And you'll leave this world one or two ways. With your sin or with God's Son. There's no other options. You enter this world, you leave this world with your sin and uh, you will be separated from God eternally. You leave this world with God's Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And that life speaks of eternal life. It's a wonderful thing about the gospel that God gives us. And really, Romans is about the gospel. Look at chapter 1 and verse number 16 with me. How many of you, does anybody do not have a worksheet, but you want one? You're waiting for one. Anybody like that? Would you put your hand up? Let's see. Ushers, can I ask you to get up and help us with that? Keep your hand up, ushers, if you would, foot fire. Move, move, move. Let's work at it real quickly, and let's get that going. To everyone that has their hand up, if you want one, I want you to have one. In the back over here to my right, my goodness, everybody on this far right side does not have one. Brother Tony, if you could get, uh, Brother Don's going that way, but we, they've got a whole section over here that doesn't have one. I want to make sure you get that. Look in the book of Romans. Let's look at chapter 1, verse number 16. Can we read it out loud together? Are you ready, everybody? For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. You're going to find several things in this wonderful book. But let's look to the Lord to help us. Father, I want to be a blessing tonight. I'm so thankful that you brought folks to here. And then for the hundreds of people outside this auditorium in classes in Transformers, in the youth center, over across the way in our Spanish congregation, I pray you would speak to their hearts as well. Help us, Lord, understand the truths. Help me to be a blessing. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of Romans is about the gospel. And the gospel is that Jesus came. He was incarnation. He was God in the flesh. He came to the earth. He lived a perfect life. He died a cruel death. He was buried. And he rose again. And that's the gospel. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of that gospel. 
For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone to believe it, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We live in a racially charged world, especially right now. Race is very, very, a very hot topic. People are concerned about it, and, and it's nothing new. It's been this way throughout the eons of eternity, if throughout, uh, not the eons of eternity, but since creation. There's been challenges on that. And we're in that day and age today, and the book of Romans addresses that. It tells us the solution to racism. And it's in a four-letter word, L-O-V-E. It's an understanding and, and God's love for us and loving others as ourself. And he's going to share with that in the book of Romans. But the book of Romans has really, uh, has, has five sections. Chapters, chapters one through three is sin, because sin is everybody's universal problem. It doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter if you're black or white, if you're Spanish or you're Asian. It doesn't matter if you're Arabic or you're, you're, uh, you're from, uh, from uh, South America. It doesn't matter. All of us have a sin nature. And so the first three chapters of the book of Romans talks about sin. Rank people that sin perverted ways, they're sinners. Religious people who think they're all that and a bag of chips, they're sinners. And chapter 3 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So everybody's a sinner. And then the, the next two chapters, 4 and 5, speak about salvation. So the first three verses, the first section is about sin. The second section is about salvation. He begins to tell them that salvation is by faith. It's not by works. The secret of eternal life is to learn that it cannot be earned. It's not something you earn. It's not a reward for being righteous. It's a gift for being guilty before God. So the second section of Romans talks about how does God provide salvation. The next three chapters, 6, 7, and 8, tell us about sanctification. And that is how we live and how we grow in our walk with God while we're waiting to see him. So the three, that, you know, that, that uh, I talked to a man last night. We were going through a discipleship lesson. At the end of it, he said to me this. He said, he said, Pastor, my salvation happened instantaneously. But it's taken me a long time to obtain sanctification. How many of you are still in that process right there? Yeah. See, salvation's a miracle of a moment. Birth's a miracle of a moment. Growing up is a process of a lifetime. Being saved is a miracle of a moment. Growing your Christian life is a process of a lifetime. That's what we're working on. And chapter 6, 7, and 8 are telling us how. Chapter 6, you'll see the word sin, sin, sin. Because even though I got saved, I'm still a stinker. I still have a sin problem. And so chapter 6, he says, listen, don't let sin have dominion over you. Chapter 7, you find the word law, law, law. And when the law came, sin revived, and I, was, I died. I got, I got issues. It, it, put, it put my sin on steroids. Because I knew it was wrong to steal before I, I knew about the Ten Commandments. I had a conscience that God put inside of me. He wrote His commandments in my heart. But when I got taught that sin stealing is wrong, from the Bible I see it's one of the Ten Commandments, then it became even more exaggerated. But then there's another concept, and that's grace. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And chapter 8, 
The key word there is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. You know what would make you a better son, a better daughter, a better mother, a better father, a better a brother or sister, a better employee, a better employer? is the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God, when I live the Spirit-filled life and I walk in the Spirit, then I don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Boy, the lust of the flesh is, is anger and wrath and malice and perversion and all kinds of stuff. But when I walk in the Spirit, then it's, not, it's like, like you're saying a bigger yes than all these other little things are behind you. And the Spirit-filled life is the way to be sanctified. Then chapters 9 and 10 and 11, and we'll give you a little bit. Let's just re rehearse with me real quickly. The first section is about second section. The third section, sanctification. That means to be clean and set apart. It's like your dish that you, that you, uh, you have in your, in your kitchen. You, after you cook, after you make it, you put lasagna on it, and you put your salad and all the stuff, and you finish that, and you've made a happy plate. You take it over to the sink, and you scrub it down with soap and hot water. You rinse it off. You dry it off, and then you put it back in the cupboard. You have sanctified that plate. You have cleaned it, and you've set it apart to be used again. And that's why God wants us to be clean and set apart, ready to be used. God has a work to do in this world. You know what he's going to find? He's going to find people who have purged themselves from sin and set apart. It's no wonder why many Christians do not live a pure life. Satan, if he can't take you to hell, he wants to make you live like an idiot. Like you live filthy so that you're not clean, you're not ready, you're not yielded. You've not been put up. And that's why God has a work to do in this world. You know who he uses? He uses pure people. People that have been sanctified. The next section is God's sovereignty in particular to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is a, is a nation that God gave uh, them two things that are very beneficial to us. Number one, the law came to the nation of Israel. The scriptures. And the law condemns us. The Bible tells us, you know, the law is not necessarily your friend. <laughs> it shows you you got issues. It's our schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So it's through the nation of Israel that God gave us two things. He gave us the law, and then he gave us the Savior that could, that could take us away from that, could take away the penalty of that. So the Jewish people, uh, God, God chose them to be the people in which God would send a Savior to us. Now, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in the world today. There's a lot of people that do not acknowledge the nation of Israel. It's a miraculous nation. It's surrounded by people who do not want to recognize them. And, and quite frankly, they have not accepted Jesus as their Messiah as a whole. Now, God has a plan for that. And you'll see, as, as the Lord's going to come back again, we see that in our lifetime, we have seen in 1948, they got their... They got their, they got their, before that, they got their body. And in 1948, after the war, they got their soul. And then they're waiting for their spirit to turn back to the Lord. And that's going to happen, in my belief, and during the tribulation period. But chapters 9, 10, 11 talk about the rejection of, of, of his people. He gave them the law. He gave us our Savior through the, through the Jewish people. But they've rejected him. And that, for the most part, he came into his own and his own. They didn't accept him. But as many as received him, received Jesus, they became power. So it opens the door to the rest of the world. 
Now, God would save people in the Old Testament like he would. He saved Ruth, who was a Moabitess. She was not Jewish. She got put in to the the people that are going to spend eternity with the God of the Bible. We see that throughout the scriptures. God God still has an open door. He he has, uh, has a plan for the whole world. But especially during this time, they've rejected the Lord. But God says now the Gentile world, those who are not Jew, can come to the Lord. And he's going to talk about that in chapters 9, 10, 11. And then chapters 12 through 16 is service. So sovereignty is 9 through 11, and service is last. So we just kind of just remind our minds, verses 1 through 3, chapters 1 through 3 is sin. Chapters 4 and 5, salvation. Chapters uh, 6 through 8, sanctification. Chapters 9 through 11 is the sovereignty of God in respect to his people, particularly the nation of Israel. And then we have service. He's going to give us the so what. That's where he starts off. And some of you know your Bible. Let's just take a moment and look at that real quickly. Uh, Chapter 12 and verse number 1. Chapters 9, 10, 11 are somewhat parenthetical. And that is where oftentimes there is a confusion. That is where the seeds of Calvinism spends a lot of time in those. If you, if you have someone who wants to argue with you about election and predestination and Calvinism and God picking some people to go to hell, some people to go to heaven, they will definitely take you to, to Romans 9, 10, and 11. It's places where there is confusion about that. But if you understand it was written to Christians and you understand that God's election has a lot to do, in my opinion, with the Jewish nation. He chose them to be, he elected them to be the carrier of the Christ child as well as their scriptures. And then we'll talk a little bit about other, other matters. But chapter 12, would you look at verse number one? And here he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. couple things there. What does the word beseech mean? We don't use it too much in our day. What does it mean to you? I beg you. I plead with you. I'm petitioning you strongly. I beseech you, and then what's therefore mean? When you see the word therefore or wherefore in your Bible, you have to look back what he's talking. It's based upon this, these things I've taught you now. Here's the so what. Here's what you need to do. I beseech you, therefore, and then what's the next word? Brethren. So he's talking about Christians. When you're saved, when you accept the gift of eternal life, you become a member of the family of God. The Bible says um, that, but as many as received Jesus, to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born. You ever heard someone say born again? Why? Because we're born, not of blood, not who your mom and daddy are, not of the works of the flesh, not something you can earn, not by the will of man, not because someone wants you to be saved. Oh man, I want lots of people to be I want them to come by the way of the cross. I want them to accept the Lord, but I can't get anyone to get saved. It, and my will can't do that. You can't do it for me, and I can't do it for you. It's whosoever will call the name of the Lord. We'll say this. Whosoever is in the Bible to be saved, but whensoever is not. Anybody who wants to be saved can come to the Lord, but you can't always come on your terms when you want to. When you're dead, you can't do it anymore. And the whensoever is not in the Bible, but the whosoever is, and I'm glad it's there. But whenever we do that, we're born to God's family. Well, let's, let's just take a moment, and it just tells us, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, 
holy, acceptable unto God, which is reasonable service. In chapters 12 through 16, we're just going to say, listen, because of the great salvation, the work of sanctification, God's sovereignty and his providence in our world, in our life, hey, let's serve him. Let's give ourselves a living sacrifice to God, wholly acceptable to him, which is the reasonable thing. If Jesus would die for us, is it reasonable that we would live for him? Yeah, most of us will not ever be asked to die for Christ. He's asked us to live for him. And we struggle with that sometimes. But let's, look at the, let's look at our worksheet, if you can, please. The human author is the Apostle Paul, and he is from the city of Corinth at the time of his writing according to Romans chapter 16, verse number 1. We gave a simplistic outline of sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. But let's just look at it real quickly. Number one is the problem of sin. And the Bible tells us there in that passage of Scripture that uh, it's sin, we're without excuse, we're without exception, all have sinned, and we're, out, we're without escape apart from God's grace that we heard about tonight in song. So the problem of sin, excuse, exception, ex escape apart from God. Chapters 1 through 3. Number 2, the promise of God. And the promise of God is eternal life. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the promise of God. The problem of sin, the promise of God. Number three, the provision of sanctification. Through God's spirit and his love. The provision of sanctification. Through God's spirit and through his love. And then, number four, the perplexity of the Jewish nation. Chapters 9 through 11, and speaking a lot of the providence and the sovereignty of God to choose to bring salvation. And God's not done with Israel. He is not done. He'll save Jewish people today. He'll save Gentile people today. But uh, he has a plan for them. He has an everlasting covenant with that country and that people group. Then look, if you would, please, number five. The plan for Christian living. And that is our, our word, simple word for service for chapters 12 through 16. Here's a couple facts to take in mind, if you would please. Here's some words. The first word is mentioned 78 times, and that's the word law. Law, L-A-W. The next word mentioned more times, 71 times, is all. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And uh, all. Righteousness is mentioned 66 times. That really is one of the key concepts in the book of Romans. Faith is mentioned 62 times. Faith, uh, how can we get saved? What's the one word that, that brings salvation? Faith. It's faith in Jesus that determines your eternal destiny. And it is faith. Look at the next thought we can, please, and that is sin. Sin is mentioned 60 times. Death is mentioned 42 times. The wages of sin is death. Death by sin. Then in Christ is mentioned 33 times. In Christ. And then impute. I-M-P-U-T-E. It means to put on another's account. Or put on your account. Uh, God imputed our sin into his son Jesus. He imputed his righteousness to us when we get saved. So those are a couple thoughts there. The book of Romans is the most quoted epistle, and I put in there, that's not right, it should be of the New Te Old Testament. The Old Testament is quoted more times in the book of Romans than probably any other book. Seventy times in 14 different Old Testament books are referred to 
in the book of Romans. So obviously, Apostle Paul knew the Old Testament and he used the Old Testament extensively in this book. Here's a couple thoughts to lessons to ponder before we close tonight. Look, if you would, please, number one. God forgives fully, freely, and forever. Would you take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 in your Bibles, and let's look at verse number 23. We're very familiar with that, but oftentimes we do not include verses number 24 and 25. I like them. Really, you would not have to take your trip down the Romans road much farther than those three verses. Everything you need to share the gospel with somebody would be found in those three verses right there. Look at verse 23. You know that one probably. Let's read it together. Are you ready? For all have sinned. So what's our problem? Sin. But then the Bible says, verse 24, being justified, that's another word for salvation, declared innocent, freely, without cause, not because of good things we've merited, but by his what? Grace. We heard about that tonight. That's God's help. That's God's supernatural help. Through the redemption, that means he purchased us, that is in whom? Christ Jesus. So through Jesus, I in his God's grace, I can be without my works declared innocent before God. Verse 25, read it with me. Whom God has set forth to be the propitiation through the faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And the rest of it continues to share the gospel of Christ. But really it just says that Jesus, through his shed of his blood, he became the payment for our sins and the sins of the whole world at that time. Here we go. Let's look at another number two. So God forgives fully, freely, and forever. His forgiveness is eternal. Let, let's just go and look at chapter 6 and verse 23. Can we look at that, please? Chapter 6 and verse 23. And let's read it out loud together. Would you mind reading verse 22 with me as well? 22 and 23. How about I, I read 22 with all 23 together? But now being made free from sin and become the servants to God, we have our fruit into holiness and our end to everlasting life. Are you ready? For the wages of sin is death. What kind of life does God want to give us there? It's eternal. It's not a temporary life. When God speaks of giving eternal life, it's not something just in this lifetime, not just till this next week. It's an eternal salvation. Okay, let's look at the number two there. Love should dominate all Christian conduct and conversation. Go to chapter 12, would you please? Chapter 12, we were there already once, but let's go back there. The first admonition after he gives the spiritual gifts is love. Look at verse number nine. Let's read it out loud together. And verse number 10 and 11. Are you ready? Let love be without dissimulation. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Verse 11 says, not slothful in business, fervent spirit serving the Lord. And you see in both 9 and 10, the concept of love. He said, being kindly affectionate. He's going to go here. The thing that, that should dominate the life of a child of God is that he has a great love for God. She has a great love for God and a great love for her brother and sisters and his brother and sisters. John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, By this attribute shall everyone out in the world know that you really belong to me. You're my disciplined followers. You have been saved by me. It will not be our haircuts. It will not be how big of a Bible we can hold. It will not be our church attendance. 
It will not be our, our necessarily our service or being an usher or serving. It will be our love one toward another. The only badge of discipleship an unsaved world recognizes in a Christian, real discipleship, is do they love one another? And that's the key to racism. That's why in the Christianity, there is no difference between the Jew or the Greek. Bond or free. Greek or barbarian. That means whether you are sophisticated or not sophisticated. Whether you can speak this language, you can't. Whether your skin color is, it doesn't matter if you're in Christ. In Christ, there is no difference. Man or woman, you're in Christ. Rich or poor, you're in Christ. You're a slave or you're free. Your ethnic background, wherever you're from, it doesn't matter if you're in Christ. There is all, God really has only one race that he's talking about, the human race. Now, there's many nations in that thing, but God, God so loved the whole world. And in Christ, there is no, and the key to, to understanding that is real love that God generates in you for others. By the way, if you're not sure God loves you, you'll have a hard time loving anybody else. You'll be loving selfish way. You'll say, well, I love that person so much. And it's usually you love them so they can love you. It's only, you only love someone if they reciprocate it. That's not the love God's talking about here. He said, let love be without dissimulation. It means it's, there's no hypocrisy. There's a great amount of sincerity. It doesn't have to be reciprocated. It's an agape love. He said, that's how we're talking about here. Then be kindly affectionate one to another in honor, preferring one another. These are attributes that God's people should have. Look at number three, if you would please, and we're almost done. The third lesson I see here is that people matter. And we won't take time to do it, but I want you to go, I won't read the whole section, but go to Romans chapter 16. And I want you to notice here, he's closing out this book of the Bible. And I want you to read a couple verses in that. Just look at the first part of the chapter and tell me what, what surfaces most in that chapter. Anybody have a thought or two? Names. People. He starts naming Phoebe, and then Aquila and Priscilla, and Rufus. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to have that name? Rufus is in there. And he begins to name multiple people that are important to him. At the end of the chapter, he'll name more people that are with him. He tells who is the person actually writing this. The Apostle Paul, we believe he had bad eyesight. We know that he wrote one book of Galatians with his own hand. And it was hard, to, it was hard to, to, to see it because he probably didn't write it well. He said, I wrote this one with my own hand. This one, Tertullius, he's the one who was the scribe. So this was all dictated by the Apostle Paul and put in print to a guy named Tertullius. You'll see him in verse number 21 or 22. His name is mentioned there. But you'll see probably 25 people's names in this, in this uh, book. One of the reasons I... Uh, I work to try to learn names is because I realized how many names were in the Bible and that God's name is important. One of the Ten Commandments is don't take his name in vain. It's amazing. One of the proofs that God is the real God is no one goes around damning another religion's God. You don't hear anyone say, well, Buddha, and damn his name. People don't do that. They don't go around and find another God and other... And they damn that name. But they find a way to damn the name of the God in the Bible. 
and his son. People get mad. Ah! And they say, Jesus Christ and oath. I wonder why they do that. The world around. In Estonia, which is primarily a, uh, it was a formerly a Soviet Union country. Most of the people, are, many of the people are atheists. But I talked to a missionary. They said, you know what? He said, they say they don't even believe in God. But the men have a way that they damn the name of God and Jesus, and the girls have a different way in which they do it in our language. They don't damn the other gods of the Bible, the world, just that one. You know why they do it? Because that's the real one. That's the one that's inside of us. It's, you know, they, they, they want to, they have a hard time with the Bible, with Christ, with Christianity. And, and of all the things that are damned, it's amazing to me. But also, names are important to God. He filled the Bible with them. And I think it's something that we ought to say, you know, if names are important. And Apostle Paul, I don't think he was like, saying, what's that kid's name over there? And what's that person's name? He said, I make a mention of all you all the time in my prayers. It's something we can work at because names are important to the Lord. And then I see the last thing. Establish the biblical purpose. And that's in the last part of the thing. I'm going to stop with that. But let's just read the, the last few verses of this book. Can we do that? Verse 25. And we just read it without comment. Are you ready? Now to him that is of the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest by the scriptures, the prophets, according to the commandments of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of the faith. To God only wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. I'd like to encourage you to take that back tonight. Maybe before you go to bed tonight, take time to read those verses. And just try to say, what is God trying to say as he wraps up this all-important, blessed book of the Bible? What's he trying to say there? What are concepts he's trying to bring? And uh, I think you'll say at the end of your reading, oh, and glory be to the only wise God. Who, who gives us salvation through his son, Jesus Christ.